the nature of the delta again is like can language models actually model concepts if they can model concepts then how limited are our concepts about the world i think what we are trying here to do is just uh, sort of fight against newton's second law because mm. you're trying to sure. decrease decrease randomness of a system where and its usual uh, behavior is to try to increase it as as much as it possible that's right uh, hi this is keshav welcome to the show the following is a conversation with abhay venkatesh on large language models the stuff he's been working on at andorel and a lot of other things that i'm sure you'll be interested in thanks a lot for tuning in and i hope you like it uh hi uh thanks for being on the show can you briefly introduce yourself yeah sure so um i'm abhay i work at this company called andurel which is a defense technology company based out of southern california uh orange county um we are um, i don't know series e uh, plus um technology startup we have 2000 plus people based around the the globe now um i'm currently helping build a new team within the company focused around language models so we're deploying language models to defense um and um yeah and sort of uh joined as an early employee at this company uh, initially under our perception team building our initial vision models for some of our first drones so a little bit more context on what this company does it's uh, basically builds hardware and software products uh for use in defense so the core idea is that um you would have i don't know like let's say you are trying to defend a military base we would build a, like a what is known as a counter intrusion or counter uh, uas solution uh using a combination of robots and a software platform known as lattice um okay. so been working at this company since the last uh four and a half years worked on uh pretty much everything at the company uh helped create our mission autonomy program which is like a command and control system that lets you fly fleets of robots and uh, then served as an engineering lead uh on our uh lattice core product and platform uh, around our planning and tasking components uh sort of generalizing the work i did for our mission autonomy system so that just been my my recent background before that i was an undergraduate uh doing ai research focusing on vision and machine learning research in particular uh yeah that was like in 2017 2018 where vision was sort of the the hot thing uh, but of course if i was doing that work today it would be a lot more around language modeling um i'm also an active angel investor i invest in technology businesses primarily uh, a lot of them i mean these days around artificial intelligence um but really most is uh software companies and also investing around our ecosystem of andural uh, andural employees ex andural employees uh, what is known as the what hopefully soon will be known as the andural mafia uh, uh, i love that so i, I was reading uh, rebooting the arsenal uh, i nice. i love andural uh, and especially what it's doing uh, given that very very few companies are doing it uh, so right. uh, i read something uh, i read this line building software that makes these concepts possible is an engineering yes. task on the order of magnitude of building a fighter jet uh, and uh, most people don't want to work in defense yes uh, uh, why is that the case uh, i couldn't could understand that yeah it's definitely very yeah i think it's a very 
I think that's a good question. I think that I agree with that. I mean, I think the culture in 2023 has shifted dramatically since when I first signed my offer letter in 2018. People thought I was literally insane for, you know, even thinking about joining this company in 2018. Um, But since then, a few things have happened, namely like the Ukraine war in particular was a, a, a turning point in the culture where these defense technology companies went from being vice businesses to uh, cool, cool investable opportunities or cool, cool businesses to be working in or building in. And it's almost like a bubble uh, forming around the space. <clears throat> but even today, I recently gave a presentation on, on some of the, the things we we're doing at Andural in like San Francisco. And a lot of, the, a lot of people there were, were still like somewhat, somewhat offended in the audience. Um, so I think most of it is just just cultural i think there is yeah. um at least in the the valley or in the united states i think so normally i don't know like historically i think a lot of the most powerful people the elites were actually you know would go and fight in the war i mean they would actually be officers mm-hmm. military officers yeah. they would join the war effort today it's become so it's become something where a lot of the elites don't actually participate in in any of the the defense uh ecosystem much less actually go go to war and, and sort of defend defend America and its allies I think so there's it's just this thing that has sort of drifted um, culturally maybe because at least in the United States there has been uh, it's been a very um, it's what it's like a very privileged country in the geopolitically like it's two yeah. neighbors are like Canada and Mexico so Canada is not, you know, I mean, I don't want to say too much here, but like, yeah, it's a, yeah. Canada is like a U.S. state and Mexico is just like, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I mean, certainly there's like the drug cartels, but it's not, not an actual like, threat. I mean, if you compare yeah. it with India, I think it's much, much better. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the Indian situation <laughs> is a stark opposite where like yeah. you sort of, or, or, or worse than you can compare the, the Israel situation is even, yeah, that's like unimaginable. Right. So I think the U.S. is like the opposite of Israel. Yeah, where definitely. Israel is surrounded by enemies. The U.S. is surrounded by water, and like Canada and Mexico. So, I think there's it's the culture is definitely not there of the the military culture. Uh, but yeah, I think this this type of technology would be very very cool in a place. I'm sure people in India would be really passionate about working on this type of stuff, and certainly in places like Israel. Definitely, I think the first time I was visiting the website, uh, I read the sentence: "There is no secret government silo of advanced technology mm-hmm. that will save us if war breaks out." And I was like, this is so, so cool. I think I was sold, uh, yes. even after reading this sentence, uh, it was clear to me that this is a very cool company doing something that's very, very important given current times. Uh, with respect to engineering and the work you do at Andril, what are some other things that you're working on right now? And I would especially love to know how you're uh, trying to use large language models uh, uh, in defense. So that's very interesting to me. Yeah, I, I'm happy to speak broadly about like the technical challenges at our company. Yeah, yeah. I think we're still like not ready to speak too much about the language model space, given the novelty of the situation and also uh, the novelty of the technology. I think yeah. on the like the the broad challenges side, I think I, I think Andural is not like I think we don't necessarily view ourselves as like. Um, research lab i think we Good. broadly view ourselves as like a very practical applied applied company i think initially like some of the quotes that our founder had was like months not years so like we want to focus on problems 
Like, how do we actually go out there and solve, solve real problems that the, the warfighter has as soon as possible? So that means like a lot of our challenges are actually like about building practical systems that actually work. And these are like practical robotic systems. There's like not that many robotics companies out there. I mean, even yeah. in the self-driving space, I think there's like only one or two self-driving car companies left, like Tesla and Waymo and everything else sort of wiped out. So like, mm-hmm. there's not that many successful robotics companies. And like the main reason is that robotics is like much harder than, than just pure software businesses. They're not like building a website. Like, yeah, building a website is like almost trivial relative to like building actual practical robotic systems that like save people's lives. So a lot of the challenges around like systems integration, right? Like data integration, how do you make like, how do you sort of, you know, you have robotic systems are expecting to receive commands and like, how do you sort of create all of these reliably, safely? Um, How do you, you know, test these things? How do you create simulation infrastructure around them? How do you sort of like, I think these are all the kinds of problems we face. And uh, yeah, I mean, oftentimes we're operating in very, highly highly austere environments where like the robot must work under very very low bandwidth you know like how do you do that like that's those kinds of things and like yeah what if you don't hear back from the robot how should the robot behave uh so uh, those are the kinds of problems that we face um on on, uh like that's like the main sort of problem space that we we deal with so let's say if someone is very very interested in working at Angular. Uh, mm-hmm. And what are some, some sort of skills you would want them to learn and know, and considering that they're applying right after graduation, uh, and especially yeah. if they want to work in the role that you're working on. So, yeah, I guess like if like uh, the team we're building is like very narrow and hyper specialized right now, and unclear how much it will grow. So most of our software engineers are not necessarily doing this type of work. I guess I think. Yeah, if you're a new grad, I think the best thing we normally, so first of all, is like, yeah, I think the best thing we look for is um, um, just internships. Like, what are the quality of internships you have done? What are the kinds of projects you have done? Um, I mean, for an AI role, you probably want some research background. I mean, almost certainly okay. want some research background. Uh, you published papers, done that type of thing, worked in research labs. Um, but ultimately, it's like the quality of technical work you have done on your resume. Yeah. And that's like the number one thing. And um, yeah, it's if, if the quality of technical work is very, very high, very, very substantive, uh, then yeah, I mean, it, I, I don't think there's anything special about what yeah. we look for. I think we're just, um, we, we, we look for top technical talent. And, um, you know, if you're a top technical talent that sort of qualifies for other, other world-class companies, like the, I don't know, like the Tesla autopilot team, or um, I don't know if you're, or, you know, any of the Elon companies really, or, um, or, you know, companies like, yeah, other, other comparable startups in the Valley. I think you would also qualify for Andural. I think we don't necessarily, I mean, there are some, some things that we look for that most other companies don't. I think one of the things we value a lot is what we call grit, which is like to ability just like grind through a very hard problem and actually sort of make yeah. something work. Uh, cause a lot of these systems require just sheer willpower to materialize and if you're not willing to or able to just grind through a problem until it's like solved it's going to be hard for you to succeed at our company got it got it i want to uh, ask about llms more so i think at present uh what i have discovered after reading about llms is that i think at present most advances in ai and especially llms uh hinge on this fact that uh 
if we throw more data and more mm-hmm. compute uh, while training uh, llms could yes. be could maybe uh, start could may start generalizing beyond their training data but at mm. present uh, there is no evidence that seems to suggest that they are uh, do you think in the future yeah, that, a, yeah. keep going yeah. do you think in the future they they might like uh, let's say in 2 3 years down the line they might start generalizing beyond their training data or we might need to shift more towards reinforcement learning and uh, some advances in reinforcement learning could be the key to uh, solving for these problems I think the last research I read on this was like LLMs don't generalize beyond their data set or whatever. I mean like but of course the problem is that what happens when your data set is the world or something like it's maybe you don't have to generalize, right? So I think I don't know I I don't I don't really yeah, I don't have any great insight on like whether it's going to generalize or not beyond the data set. I do think that there are some interesting theories around like can you get the synthetic data? So I know people at the Tesla simulation team where like they're already training 99% on the simulation data, right? So like okay. I think if the if the generative process to create synthetic data is like sufficiently good or sufficiently high resolution, there is a possibility of like synthetic data sort of like solving for the data problem and you sort of able to uh recursively recursively learn. I'm generally not bullish on that because i my view is that synthetic data is typically entropic meaning that like if you train on synthetic self generated data it's going to sort of like not converge generally speaking but it's hard to know because like maybe once because the counter argument to that is that like the world like the world is like a level of complexity right like so if you can like get the world is not in finite resolution or so like or maybe it is i don't know so but that's the counter argument which like the world is not in finite resolution and like if you can get a model that can generate data at a cert- sufficiently high quality then you can have a recursive self learning process so that's the that's the i don't know opportunity space i am i don't spend too much time thinking about this because like from my perspective i think of language models as like or transformers as highly efficient um learning algorithm and you can fit sort of any any type of any type of a uh, function or any type of uh distribution and from my perspective it's all about like okay how do we actually get the model to learn the distribution we're interested in and get it to uh just work in that problem space as soon as fast as soon as possible as fast as possible and that's mm-hmm. all i care because I, i know that it can fit anything i want it, want it to fit So hmm. we get the data process of going and we fit the fit the model and then we solve the problem so and and that's the hope and like on the reinforcement learning side so far i mean i mean like the big way you use it is normally in like you know what is known as reinforcement learning from human feedback or yeah, the just, main idea is actually yeah. you are like you ha- you learn the algorithm like you you train the model to fit a function but then there is some like preference tuning around uh around the margin so it's like you're not using reinforcement learning as a way to learn a new knowledge distribution or anything you are using the reinforcement learning to sort of fine tune the the way it behaves at the margins like that's the rough intuition um and i don't know if you could use that to solve the generalization problem necessarily 
that's that's my understanding, but you know, could could yeah. have some gaps here. I uh, I was using uh, RL uh, as you mentioned earlier, recursive self learning in that context. So yeah, yeah, but I think uh, currently what we do is just uh, train it on a bunch of like some sort of a lot lot of unsupervised learning and then some sort of RLHF layer at the top. That's how GPT three three point five yes. were trained. Uh, but I think definitely I think there needs to be some sort of architectural differences if we want uh, LLMs to generalize. I'm not mm -hmm. sure what what the right answer to this is at this point uh, because it's an open-ended question. But yeah. uh, it seems really interesting. Also, totally. you mentioned the term "the world is not infinite resolution." Uh, I really like that statement. Uh, what what would you what do you mean by that? So so it's just like I'm thinking about like so you have a this mod world world model in your language model implicitly like so your, your language yeah. model sort of models some some form of reality and then like you are you're basically this model as a function of reality right or like the world quote unquote yeah. so like the and the world has a certain and, and usually by the way we train based on some measurement of reality we don't actually train on reality because like you have some input yeah. like it's either like a image that you took via camera and even when I take a picture of the world, like that's not infinite resolution, right? It's like a limited totally. resolution model of the world. So like you are training on finite resolution models of the world. So it does, and you can converge based on that. That's sort of the, got it, got it. the uh, idea, right? And so it seems like yeah. you don't actually need an infinite resolution data generating process to converge mm. uh, to some, some useful, useful thing. That's a um, very, very yeah. interesting concept. Do you think, uh, I mean, next question uh, is that, do you think synthetic data could come close to some sort of infinite resolution? It's getting very bad. I mean, like synthetic data is getting really, really good. I mean, that's kind of the, yeah. the, the general trajectory is that synthetic data has been getting much better. Mm. I haven't tried stuff in this space in a while, but like, I, I, I did some, some work in this space, like 2018, where you would use like Unreal Engine to sort of try and, you yeah. know, but I bet that's like much better today. So, and there's some generalization for sure from like Unreal to real world. Um, but yeah, I, I think, and, and it seems like I know people at Tesla simulation who tell me that, you know, yeah, like they're already training primarily on synthetic data. So it seems like, it seems like you can, you can use it. Um, and, um, that is the hope for like robotics stuff in the future. Like if you're gonna, if you're gonna have like actual robotics, like machine learning for robotics, you probably will have to rely on like synthetic data because we just don't have enough data without that. I would also love to understand how would you define generalization? So let's say mm -hmm. my, the main question that I am trying to uh, get an answer for is that the amount of data that LLMs have been trained on, if a human being was trained on that data, uh, mm -hmm. they would surely be able to, uh, like my hypothesis is that they would notice some sort of patterns or uh, just like connections mm -hmm. between that data set and they will surely find something that was novel, which uh, LLMs aren't able to. So mm. what do we really mean when we want, when we mean generalizing? Is it finding patterns in data and basically uh, answering questions on data that they have not been trained on? I think like normal definition of generalization yeah. is like you have a data set and it's and not overfitting. Yeah. It's not overfitting. Um, yeah. basically it's like you train a model on a data set and then you try to run the model on something that's not in the data set. And then it gives, yeah. and then you measure the, the error 
on okay. those samples out of data set and then you would expect it to have uh yeah you would have expect i mean you would expect it to have a good performance like that's and then that's that's generalization in the context of language modeling yeah it would probably mean something like you know you're trained like a so language modeling also like models quote unquote knowledge right about like sure. the world so like what you would want to see in theory is like you're trained on a corpus of data that models all these concepts and you introduce a new concept that was not in the data set it's a conceptual i guess conceptual learning where like the new concept it's sort of able to sort of infer infer or make sense of without actually having seen that concept um yeah for example it would be like i don't know like what is a good example here like yeah the model only has thought about like cars trucks or whatever like like land vehicles and like somehow you say okay what if we instead of uh we add wings to it or something and like you know it's like a mm, aircraft got it and it's able to sort of understand the concept of an aircraft and describe it and so forth so i guess that would be like one example of of generalization with the lang in the language modeling conceptual space um yeah and i would guess that the language model would probably actually not do this very well because yeah, uh, yeah. like even after some some years or uh, at the moment at the moment it's not doing well we all know that but yeah. even after 5 6 years that's what you meant oh there have been work on like interpretability like model yeah. interpretability where like they do map the models latent space and then there's like actual conceptual uh learning like, activations there's some conceptual learning yeah um so there are some hints of like mm. deriving concepts from the the language the language vector space um but yeah i don't i, I don't have great intuitions um, yeah. yeah not super deep I, on the research yeah i think uh what you mentioned mechanistic interpretability is i think the field that's doing this uh and at the moment i think they are investigating very mic specific features uh mm -hmm. and capabilities of these models rather than going very macro uh but i think yeah, definitely yeah. that that seems promising uh and i think that could show some advance like uh, uh yeah. advancements in the field no totally i mean i'm bullish also you mentioned measuring error when we when we calculate let's say if we ask a very novel question to a language model that we also don't know the answer to uh then how will we measure the error uh with the solution i think normally you need like humans to yeah. to uh guide the models right i think like you still need i don't know one of the ways i think about this is like you always need humans to like st steer and evaluate the models right you need you need humans to like sort of tell what the model do and then you need humans to sort of evaluate like whether the outputs are correct or not um yeah. so ultimately i think we're still limited by humans on the model side for now um the hope is that with the recursive self learning that the model is able to self evaluate and there's like right. there's some work on this like self reflection is already like one example where like you ask the model to reflect on its output and then it sort of improves yeah. the output right like so that kind of step. thing yeah or think step by step uh, okay. all of these reflection mechanisms mm, so that's like the way you could maybe try it which is like 
yeah, you have the model evaluate itself. I don't know. Yeah, it's kind of weird. Uh, I mean, you can, the, the other way you normally do this, like have a much more powerful model like GPT-4 evaluate like yeah. a weaker model. So that's, um, that, that works great. That works great. You have an anchor point to rely on uh, and you can use that as like the bigger model as an anchor for the weaker model. Yes. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's like, I think that's how everybody evaluates these models these days. I mean, like you use hmm. GPT-4 as an evaluator. Interesting. Uh, I was not aware of that. So, uh, yeah. Also, you also mentioned uh, ent uh, entropic as a word. Uh, mm -hmm. What What did you mean by that? I'm really interested in it. Like, is it related to Newton's second law? Or, uh, that's that's what you're referring to or something else? Like random? Yeah, I guess or? I just mean when I, like entropy basically means like, it's like, it's like the, the energy expanding or collapsing, right? Or in, yeah. in the case of learning, are you, so like you want to learn, yeah, it's, it's like the, the model weights converging. So if, if the model weights are actually diverging, that's like a dis, dysentropic situation yeah. where you have, you're not tending towards anything, you're just like expanding. And, uh, oh, sorry, that's an entropic situation where you're just expanding. Whereas yeah. like you want to be dysentropic in the sense that like, I mean, you're learning a distribution that has some structure in it. Um, mm -hmm. And I used entropy as a situation where like, Normally, I mean, if you try this with like weak models, like if I, yeah. you just use like a stupid toy model, like a very simple autoregressive model on like some small corpus of data or corpus of text, and you try to like have it output stuff and then have it sort of learn on that itself. If you yeah. do that, like you just blow up, like in the model very, very bad. get fucked. Yeah. Like you just yeah, gonna like, get like destroyed I think by, basically. Bigram or trigram, uh, those bag of words, all these models right. perform really, really badly on. Exactly. So that's not going to work. But like yeah. the argument is always like, is there sufficiently, sufficiently good generative process at, after which like the, the, the quality of generation is comparable to the, the data sourcing process in the real world. For example, like if you're, let's say in the image space, yeah. if the image generation model gets to sufficient good degrees a generative model it's able to just generate um images and it gets sufficiently good that's as good as taking a picture like i take a picture outside and like that's yeah. and it's as good as that then maybe you have a, a self hmm. like a recursive self-improving algorithm got it got it language is definitely powerful because it can like do con concepts right you can have with concepts and abstractions you can sort of like capture a lot of the world um, I think like, it's probably like, it's probably like, there's probably, there's almost certainly some Delta because like we haven't sort of figured out everything like about the, the real world. So there's, it's not this, it's not exactly, we don't, I don't think we can model the world exactly with language. That's for sure. I mean, like there's definitely a big, big Delta. Um, the, the nature of the Delta is like in our, in the, not, so the nature of the Delta again is like, can language models actually model concepts? If they can model concepts, then how limited are our concepts about the world? And then like, and certainly like in terms of physical and visual stuff, right? Like how, how good are our images? Like how well can we learn like physical properties? Like how, how well can the model intuit like motion, things like that. So there's definitely like all these gaps. So it's, it's great, it's the best one we have, but there's, there's like a wide variety of gaps in, on the modeling mm -hmm. side. I think, uh, like, I was going to ask you this question that 
तो लाइक वीडियो माइट बी अ बेटर मोडालिटी टू वर्क विद इफ यू इफ यू डीलिंग विद द रियल वर्ल्ड बट आई थिंक दैट्स आल्सो डिराइव्ड फ्रॉम लैंग्वेज इटसेल्फ या देयर जस्ट थ्री लेयर्स वीडियो ऑडियो लाइक इन अ वीडियो फाइल ऑडियो लैंग्वेज एंड इमेजेस सो आई थिंक या the most basic structure that we have language i think we need to work on that uh, yeah and uh, obviously synthetic data is still being out of promise in this so totally be exciting to see what that happens so uh, my last question would be uh, let's say if someone is very very interested in uh, llms do you think it would be better to for them to uh, work at a startup or a firm like antrel uh, or go into academia and work on research uh but the the sort of caveat here is that uh, firms like andural openai and tropic uh and are working on these problems and the progress that they're making are like is really fast uh so is it better for them for someone to work on in research first or just start working uh, as a startup and learn there I think yeah language models I mean right now is like it seems like almost a purely industry phenomenon mostly I mean like yeah. I think that's where the progress is being made and mostly in labs like Anthropic OpenAI um I don't know what Google whatever meta so I think ultimately that's where you want to be um obviously the the hiring for these places can be competitive so like you can use academy as a way to build your profile Yeah. But yeah, I I would say that number you should you should try to enter industry as fast as possible if you want if your goal is yeah. to just work on like cutting edge language model stuff. Um there could be reasons for when you want to do academia. Um mm. if they don't align with the product roadmap of one of these companies or you want to be a professor, academic or any number of things. I mean, I think it's a, also a great way to train other skills like mathematics, physics if you're interested in those type of things. maybe if you want to work on like interesting yeah like the, you mentioned like the physics stuff yeah. physics xml maybe that's not necessarily directly related on the the research road maps of these labs um so that's there are some exceptions where i think you should pursue long term academia but i think like otherwise you want to move to industry lab as soon as possible yeah got it got it yeah so these are all the questions i had thanks cool, a lot for being on the show yeah thanks so much for having me this is amazing <laughs>